Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Costanza residence. It's wonderful to be sharing with you today. I hope you're safe and healthy wherever you are. Uh, I've lost track of how many weeks we've been sheltering in place, and I know that for many of us it's been a trying time, but the silver lining for me has been the unexpected gift of more family time. Michael and I, we have three sons. They're now 20, 17, and 12. Our oldest is home from college, so we're all together. And it feels like we've delayed that next season of the kids leaving home for just a little while longer. So I've really been savoring this time. But I'm pretty sure that my family does not share my enthusiasm. There's five of us. We're all on top of each other in a fairly small house. And every night at dinner, we have to compare our Zoom schedules for the next day and negotiate who gets the quietest rooms for their calls. And let's just say that I don't usually get first pick. So I've been known to take some calls in the garage or my bathroom from time to time, and I'm sure many of you can relate. We certainly look forward to the day that we can go back to worshiping in person with all of you. I miss my favorite coffee shop, my husband misses the gym, and my kids are all dying for haircuts, and I keep offering my services, but none of them seem interested for some crazy reason. <laughs> but all joking aside, the last several months has been an extraordinary time of turmoil. We've been experiencing the convergence of health, economic, and even social crises. We've all been affected to varying degrees. And many of us came into this strange time already carrying significant burdens and challenges. Life feels pretty heavy right now. And many of my conversations with friends have included these three little words. We need hope. We need hope, hope for a vaccine, hope for peace and unity, hope for equality, hope for a very uncertain future. What is hope? What is hope? The dictionary definition is to want something to happen or to wish something to be true, to desire with anticipation. I hope it's sunny tomorrow. I hope my kid goes to college. But I think it's much more than that. There's something so integral to our human spirit about hope. The book of Proverbs says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, while a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What a great image, a tree growing taller and stronger. When our hopes come to fruition, it's life-giving. But when we experience disappointments and tragedies, it has the opposite effect. It's like we have this emotional reservoir of hope in our hearts that rises and falls with our experiences. We start out with a lot of hope. We're born with it, right? Little kids are brimming with optimism, but then life happens and life is hard. It can take a toll on us. That reservoir of hope begins to drain. And some of us decide at some point that it's better not to hope for anything at all. One of my sons recently learned that several of his high school classmates committed suicide. And it's just heartbreaking that these teenagers felt hopeless at a time when their lives were just beginning. We don't know the details of their situations, but I wonder if they were victims of our culture that often places hope in the wrong things. Maybe the pressure to achieve was just too much. Maybe they put their hope in someone they respected or loved who ultimately let them down. One thing I've learned over the years is that people fail people. Even when we love someone 
and don't mean to harm them, we will let them down. We will even let ourselves down because we're imperfect beings. We're not perfect. This doesn't mean we can't open our hearts to people, but it does mean that we need to have the right expectations. And the psalmist reminds us that humans cannot save the way God can save. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Amen. Jesus told us that in this world, we would have many troubles, like pandemics and recessions and social unrest. But he also told us to take heart, to be hopeful, because he has overcome the world. The Lord offers us a different kind of hope, true hope, for not just uncertain times like today, but for eternity. Let's look at a passage together in the book of Hebrews that, to better understand the hope that God offers us. I'm going to first just read this through, and then we'll take a closer look. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. What exactly is the hope that lies before us that this passage is talking about? It's the saving hope of Jesus. You know, two million of us on this globe have been infected with the coronavirus so far, but all of us, every single one of us, are infected with something called sin, which separates us from a holy and perfect God. But because God is just as much loving as he is holy and perfect, he sacrificed his son Jesus to pay for our sins on the cross. We can now have a relationship with the Lord that spans past our time on earth into eternity. And the author of this passage tells us that we can hold to this hope that lies before us, this hope for eternal life, with great confidence, with great confidence. In fact, the very nature of the word hope in this passage is quite different from the way we use the word hope today. The original Greek word is elpis, which means confident expectation. You see, God's hope, it's not like human hope. It's not a finger-crossing, wishful thinking kind of hope. It's not optimism or even positive thinking. It's an absolute certainty. With human hope, there are no guarantees. In fact, when we express hope, we're actually expressing uncertainty, right? We hope we find a vaccine for the virus. We hope there will be enough aid to save the economy. We hope that we will end racism. Yes, we desperately want all of these things, but no one knows for certain if these things will actually come to pass. But what we can be sure of is God's promise of eternal life for those who accept Jesus. And verse 18 tells us why. It says we have God's promise and his oath, and it is impossible, impossible for God to lie. The author is making a statement about God's character that he keeps his promises, and he's referring back to an example, a data point, 
from the book of Genesis when God did exactly that. The phrase promise and oath refers to God's promise to give Abraham and Sarah a son, despite their old age, which he absolutely did. His promises and oaths are reliable. The text says that these things are unchangeable. He won't go back on his word. He can't go back on his word because of his very nature. He is so reliable and faithful that in verse 19, hope is described as a strong, trustworthy anchor for our souls, an anchor for our souls. This is the type of hope that God wants us to build our life on, strong, trustworthy, and anchoring. In ancient times, an anchor was a symbol of hope. And especially for the early persecuted church, they fashioned an anchor as a disguised cross. I think they call it the mariner's cross. And they used it to mark the paths to their secret meeting rooms in the catacombs underneath Rome. And what a rich metaphor to use to describe the hope we have in Jesus. An anchor has two main purposes. The first is to prevent the ship from drifting. Even in calm waters, a ship can drift from its desired location into other ships or dangerous waters. And it's the same with our lives. Whether we mean to or not, we can drift away from the good, healthy things toward dangerous, unhealthy things, away from our loved ones, our goals, and our dreams. And our hope in Jesus can keep us centered and steadied. And the second purpose of an anchor is it stabilizes a ship during a storm. It reduces the pitch and roll and prevents the boat from capsizing. Old anchors were made of rocks and baskets of stones, and as their designs evolved, hooks were incorporated to give them even more stability. And an anchor on a modern ship today can weigh over 50 tons. 50 tons, imagine that. I learned a lot about anchors in my research. <laughs> big ships in big storms need big anchors. What is our anchor? Is it money, our achievements, our intellects? The Lord wants to be our strong and trustworthy anchor. Back to verse 19. This hope, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. The phrase, through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary refers to the innermost part of the Jewish temple where the high priest would go into the presence of God, usually once a year, to make a sacrifice to atone for sins. But this practice was no longer necessary once Jesus redeemed us, which is why he's called the eternal high priest. But I think there's another way to think about these verses. Ancient ships had someone on board called an anchorarius, who would act as a forerunner when the ship headed to harbor. And this forerunner was in charge of the ship's main anchor and would go into the harbor first in a small boat and set the anchor there inside the harbor. And this would ensure that the ship could not be washed out to sea before it reached the harbor. And the forerunner would also give notice of the ship's arrival and make preparations for it. In the same way, Jesus is our forerunner, our anchorarius. Picture this in your mind. We are like ships on a stormy sea. We're headed to heaven, but Jesus has taken our anchor and has gone before us into that harbor of heaven, God's inner sanctuary, if you will. And he's planted our anchor there 
He's gone beyond that curtain that separates earth from eternity and is making preparations for our arrival. And although we can't see him, our souls are securely tethered to him. We can't be diverted off course. We can't be disconnected because our anchor has already been securely fixed in heaven. When we anchor our hope in this truth, our lives outside the harbor of heaven, no matter how tumultuous, will not defeat us because we know with certainty our final destination. So here's my first idea. True hope is based on the certainty of God's word and not on our wishes and circumstances. It looks away from man and to the promises of a reliable and faithful God. There are 7,000 promises in the Bible, 7,000. And when we put our hope in these promises, we can navigate life through all circumstances until we find, finally enter that harbor of heaven. And I learned in my research that there are different types of anchors for different types of boats in different types of sea bottoms for different purposes. I had no idea. I'm not a sailor. And I got to thinking, God's word anchors us to him through any situation, any situation. For example, when we feel alone or abandoned, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua 1.5. When we're grieving, he promises to comfort us because he is the God of comfort and compassion, 2 Corinthians 1.3. When we feel wronged, God declares that he is the final judge and that justice will be done and that our job is simply to forgive, Romans 12.19. And when we feel defeated, he assures us that he has plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is just a tiny little taste of the hope we can find in God's word. I once heard someone say, faith is a lens and not a lever. Faith is a lens and not a lever. I don't know why there is so much suffering in this world, friends. But I do know that God's word can give us a different perspective. It helps us remember that being discouraged or confused or even feeling hopeless, it's not an indicator that our anchor has come loose. We can soothe and even fight our feelings of hopelessness with the promises of God. Because hope is not just a feeling, but a choice that requires practice. We have to practice hope. Hope can certainly be characterized as a feeling, but because our feelings come and go, they can't always be trusted to accurately reflect reality. I remember this great family day we had downtown. It was a beautiful sunny day. We went shopping and had a great meal together. And, and then we got a $500 parking ticket and our car was towed. <laughs> we went from happy and content to regret and defeat in a split second. Our human hearts are so vulnerable to our circumstances, and we can't deny that we're emotional beings. But we do have some capacity to override our feelings with our thoughts. And this is one of the things that differentiates us from all other living things on this earth. And the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit to help and sustain us. We can choose hope and not give up. And Jesus actually has something to say about how not to lose hope. He tells us in the book of Luke to always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Some translations say, always pray so you won't lose heart. 
Always pray so you won't be discouraged. What is prayer? It's simply talking to the Lord. It's simply just telling him how we feel. Why should we pray when he already knows how, he, how we feel? I mean, he's, he's all-knowing, isn't he? There's something transformative about prayer. It opens up a dialogue. We converse with the Lord. He speaks back to us through his word. And there's this dynamic back and forth, living, breathing exchange. And it changes us. It changes us. It gives us courage and peace and joy. Jesus modeled this for us when he prayed in the garden the night before he was crucified. He was so overcome with anxiety that the Bible says he was sweating drops of blood. But he prayed to his father and he was strengthened and he didn't give up. He completed his mission on the cross. And I think that if we're feeling hopeless, we don't have to be stuck there. We don't have to be stuck there. We can choose to find our way back to hope like Jesus did in the garden. We're currently in a series where we're exploring how to activate our faith. And one way we can do this is to pray and go to God's word. If we're drifting or in the middle of a storm, we need to deploy our anchor. And by doing so, we are choosing and practicing hope. You know, when the shelter in place order went into effect, there were so many things that all of a sudden we couldn't do anymore. We couldn't go to work or to restaurants or hang out with our friends. But what really struck me was that with regard to how we engage with the Lord, nothing had changed. We can still come before the creator of the universe and talk to him, which is amazing. We can still open our Bibles and soak up his word. We can still worship him. I know it's not the same way we used to, but nothing has really changed. We still have full access to our almighty God and we don't even need technology for it. No Zoom account or password necessary. We still have the choice to choose hope. Instead of panicking, let's pray. Instead of worrying, let's worship. I wanna give you some suggestions on how to practice hope. Some of us might already be doing some of these things, but for others, they might be new. I asked some of my friends, uh, what do you do when you feel hopeless? And I got some really great responses. The first is to focus on God's character and less on our circumstances. One of my friends said, I try to remind myself of who he is in my prayers, saying things like, God, you are faithful, you are generous, nothing is too difficult for you. And this puts the focus on God, takes it off of my situation and grows hope within my heart and mind. This is great advice. And one way to pray that puts the focus on God's character is the ACTS method. And this is how I tend to pray myself. A-C-T-S, it's an acrostic. A stands for adoration. When you pray, start with stating God's character and qualities. Lord, I love you. You're a promise keeper. With, all th- with you, all things are possible. Then move on to C, which stands for confession. Confess to him what's in your heart. I feel scared, Lord. I'm having trouble loving this person. Then T is for thanksgiving. Thank him for your blessings. Thank him for answered prayer. And then we finally get to S. S is for supplication. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, but it means request. This is now the time to bring your request to the Lord, what we typically think of when we say prayer, our needs and our desires. And the funny thing is that 
if we follow this process, often, by the time we get to S for supplication, we'll already feel stronger and more at peace. Another way to practice hope is to remember how God has been faithful in the past. It's funny how we can have spiritual amnesia. God gets us through some pretty big things. And then when we encounter the next storm, we forget. We forget what he's done in the past. We forget what he's capable of doing in our future. One of my friends keeps a prayer journal. She simply writes out her prayers like a letter. She also writes about what the Lord is teaching her. She marks the entries from the times of significant personal growth. And she'll reread these entries when she feels discouraged. And this gives her strength and hope for her current struggles. A prayer journal is a great way to remember what God has done for us in the past. Okay, number three, memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Many of my friends memorize scripture. They'll pick out a verse that's especially meaningful to them. They'll paste it on their bathroom mirror or near their kitchen sink. Now, this might be a new thing for some of us, but with a little bit of effort, we can embed God's truths in our hearts and our minds by committing his word to memory. A good place to start uh, is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, our Father who art in heaven is how it starts. And this is a prayer that Jesus actually prayed himself, which, by the way, has all the elements of the Acts model in it. Another beautiful passage to memorize is the 23rd Psalm. That one starts, the Lord is my shepherd. You might be familiar with that one as well. But there are so many hope-filled verses that you can choose. And the great thing about memorizing scripture is that you have instant access. It's right there on the tip of your tongue when you need it. Okay, number four, praying in community. I feel really strongly about this one. There will be times when we are so discouraged, we will need to lean on the hope of others. We're gonna need them to hope for us. Reach out to believing friends for prayer and encouragement. We need spiritual first responders, and we all should be praying for others as well. And praying for others takes the focus off of our circumstances, and we get to see how God is working in our friends' lives and vice versa. So it's a real blessing to be praying in community. And technology makes sharing prayer requests a breeze. I have friends who use WhatsApp, and I'm on a part of a really great uh, Slack prayer channel myself. Okay, here's the last thing I want to say about practicing hope. Let's be proactive rather than reactive. Proactive rather than re reactive by developing a daily rhythm with the Lord. I was watching this YouTube video about this couple who's sailing around the world. Their most crucial tool is a weather app that enables them to adjust their course to avoid storms. And if they can't avoid a storm, at least they have time to prepare for it. I wish we had an app that would warn us about life storms. That would be really handy. But here's the thing, we should expect storms. We might not know exactly when they're gonna hit or what they'll be like, but they will hit. And rather than simply reacting to them, we can be proactive and prepare for them ahead of time. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be reactive. God will meet us wherever we are. So if something has caught you by surprise, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Cry out to the Lord for help and he will answer you. But if we can get ahead of it, if we can invest time and effort into immersing ourselves in him, when the storms do hit, we won't be quite as shaken. We will have a deep reservoir of hope 
to draw from. And the ideal way to immerse ourselves in Him is to do it every day. The Lord wants a daily relationship with us. He wants, he wants to spend time with us every day. Maybe you could try out some of these things we've just gone over. There are so many tools at our fingertips. Pastor Terry's Rise and Shine vlog is a great resource if you haven't checked it out yet. But maybe some of us have more time, more bandwidth, while we're still sheltering in place to form new habits or to make a new commitment to grow closer to our beautiful Lord. There's a verse in Romans about suffering that I want to share, and it's a verse that used to confound me. But recently, I've come to understand its truth. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Notice the linear nature of the verse. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. I always found this to be curious, that the end product of suffering is hope. From a human perspective, it makes more sense that we need hope to get through the suffering, right? But again, we learn that hope in the Bible doesn't mean human optimism or wishful thinking. It means a confident expectation. So I'm going to read this again. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character a confident expectation. It may seem counterintuitive, but the more we suffer and the more we cling to the Lord, the more we experience Him. And the more we experience Him, the more confident we become in who Jesus is and the more certain we will become of our final destination. When I was first diagnosed with cancer in 2010, I sat next to a woman named Marsha on a plane. She was a Christ follower and a cancer survivor. When I told her that I was afraid, she patted my hand and said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Jesus is with you. And when you get to a place where Jesus is all you have, you will realize that Jesus is all you need. I have never forgotten that. The truth is, I know what it feels like to be hopeless. Five years ago, I sat in a doctor's office. He told me that my cancer was back, and at this time, it was advanced and incurable. And even though I truly believed that heaven was waiting for me, I was overwhelmed with hopelessness and grief at the thought of leaving my family. But there's something powerful about confronting death. In these last five years through treatment and all the uncertainty of my health, I have learned the truth firsthand of what that sweet woman on the airplane was trying to tell me. Jesus is truly all I need. I'm less afraid to die, and I'm getting more excited about heaven. My anchor of hope has grown, grown stronger and more secure. So here's my next idea. Hope will grow as we experience Jesus, especially through the storms, especially through the storms. We don't have to be afraid. In fact, storms are course-correcting opportunities. And I think there's an opportunity in the midst of this pandemic storm that we are collectively facing. People seem more open to having meaningful discussions about life and death and spiritual things. And it brings to mind the story of Francis Collins. Dr. Collins currently runs the National Institutes of Health, and he headed the he Human Genome Project under President Obama. 
And he wrote a great book called The Language of God about how science is God's mechanism for creation. And Dr. Collins, was an he was an atheist for many years with no background in religion or in church as a child. But when he was a medical student, he was exposed to terminally ill patients and he observed that there was a direct correlation between how a patient faced death and the patient's faith. Those who followed Jesus were most at peace with dying while other patients were gripped with fear and despair. And Dr. Collins found himself drawn to the hope of these Christians. And one day, one of his patients shared the gospel with him, which was the beginning of his journey as a Christ follower. Hope is contagious. People are drawn to hope. It's intriguing, even perplexing. The sky, the sky is falling and yet this person seems to be fine. Better than fine, actually. Peace, content, grateful. What is the source of that hope? Where does it come from? This kind of hope says, Things aren't so good, but I still believe. This kind of hope says, it's probably going to get really bad, but I know that everything is going to be okay. Given all the events of the last few months, we need this kind of hope, God's hope, more than ever before. And the Apostle Peter urges us to spread this hope. But in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. If you're a Christ follower, and it doesn't matter how long you've been following him, let's look for opportunities to share our hope with others. Let's not squander this time. Disruption can be a good thing. It provides an opening for interesting conversations. Maybe you know someone who needs a helping hand or a listening ear, let's show up for them. Let's serve them. And maybe you'll have a chance to share a little of your story of who Jesus is to you. So here's my final idea. Hope is contagious and is meant to be shared with others. It's meant to be shared with others. I'm gonna close with one more story. My friend Janice lives a couple of blocks away from me. And when the shelter in place order began, she told me that she put a letter in every mailbox on her block. And this letter introduced herself and her family and asked if there was anything they could do to help, like getting groceries or prescriptions. And she signed it with their names and their contact info. And I was like, your real names and your real contact info? I have to admit, my first reaction was, I don't know if that was a good idea. These people now know where you live. But then I realized that Janice was letting her light shine during a dark time in a powerful way. She said she heard from many of her neighbors, and one of them in particular was deeply moved because no neighbor in the 20 years she had lived there had ever reached out to her before. And the block is having a socially distanced block party as soon as it's deemed safe to do so. Now that's activating our faith and engaging those around us, inviting them to the confident hope that we have in Jesus. In just a moment, the band's gonna share a song and we're gonna hand it back to Pastor Terry. But first, let me leave you with a blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope, his glorious, constant, unswerving, living hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
as our wapis great unknown. Questions come and questions go. Was there purpose for the pain? Did I cry these tears in vain? I don't want to live in fear. I want to trust that you are near. Trust your grace can be seen in both triumph and tragedy. Wasn't that so good? <laughs> Just to be able to have this time together has been an extraordinary blessing for me. I hope for you too. It's my desire that you would all be strengthened, encouraged. You know, I just want to also remind everyone, and, I, and part of this is also to thank you for the exceptional faithfulness that so many of you have exhibited in relation to your giving. And if you, if you haven't already been made aware of it, there's multiple ways that you can give in your tithes and your offerings unto the Lord. You can do it online, you can do it on the app. You could do it, you know, just the traditional way and send it into the offices, whatever, whatever works. But you just remember, you know, this flows really out of a heart that is 
is aligned. You know, we are a people together making a journey. And if this is your home, your home church, if this is the place where you're being fed in the Lord, then continue to honor the Lord and give in your first fruits. Be as faithful as you can possibly be. I know these are not easy times. Some of us are prospering and doing well. Others of us are in a more challenging place. But either way, walk as much as you can in a place of trust and in hope. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray the blessing of the Lord on all of us, okay? All of us right now. So here we go. Lord, we just... We just take this time and we bring it to a close, but we do not do so as people who are hopeless. We do this as people who are anchored in your hope as we have learned today. And my prayer is that we continue to live out our faith in you as, what, as, as beautifully as we possibly can, that we would, we would sow water and reap because you are so good and you are so God and we want to sow good and we want to sow God. Help us to be creative in our ways to bless. Help us to be creative peacemakers in your name. Help us to keep our hearts in check and not be overwhelmed in our anger. We pray for your goodness to prevail over our own hearts, over, our, over the people we love and our relationship with. Even now, maybe some names are coming to our mind. We speak the blessing of Jesus over them. And of course, over our nation. We just ask for this, Lord, in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he be with you, spirit, soul, and body, in every way this week. Grace to you guys. Love you all.